Alright, and we're back. This is episode 7 of Phil. Can you fucking believe it? <laughs> I'm actually, I can't believe it. we made it this far without being shut down by somebody at least. But <laughs> no. There's Where's no, the FCC when you need them? Well, exactly. But I was going to say, there's no like podcast uh, oversight committee yet. Yet, yes. Which I'm sure at some point there will be. <laughs> How but, can we tax podcasts? <laughs> exactly. This is just free. People talking to each other. You know. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, I think we got a pretty good episode this week, though. I think uh, we got we got some strong entries. Yes. It, I mean, yeah. oh, and just, I, well, and just to, a little bit of a backstory. We're sort of winging it on one of them because um, we were going to do a movie, we were going <laughs> to review a movie called Shattered, but... For whatever reason, me and Phil weren't in communication well enough to know that there are like four different movies called Shattered out there. <laughs> and we watched different ones. Yeah, so I saw one with Pierce Brosnan and he saw one with Tom Berenger. <laughs> Mine's better. <laughs> it probably is. <laughs> or at least more enjoyable. Yeah. Let's put it that way. Yeah, you're Maybe probably Maybe not right. better as far as quality. Well, it depends on how you define quality, though, <laughs> I suppose. But, okay, so we'll go with, uh, let's see, what, okay, what, what do you want to do first? You want to do, um... Well, let's start off with a bang. Let's talk about the Glimmer Man. Oh, man, the Glimmer Man. That's just... That, I gotta say, when, when you had sent me the email saying that you were watching the Glimmer Man, I was thinking, really? Like, well, see, I was on, like, Stars or Encore or something, and I was like, this is really, really bad. It'd be great to talk about. So yeah, I put it on my DVR and gave it a whirl. Oh man, and it, and when I I went and I got it and I was just like, oh boy, okay, we'll just gotta get through this one. And then, it literally at the end of the movie, I was I was like, that was that was fucking awesome because it was so bad and it was just so cheesy. There were so many cliches and just. <laughs> It was so terrible. It made the leap from terrible to great. Oh, totally. That was, Yeah, I mean, and I'm a big fan of those movies that yeah. make that leap. But so if you don't know what we're talking about, it's the 1996 Steven Seagal magnum opus. Co-starring... Keenan Ivory Wayans, everybody. I mean, can you believe it? Yeah. Well, and there's also some fairly notables in there. Brian Cox, Brian Cox playing exactly the same guy he played later on in, in the Born, Born Identity. Identity. Yep. I mean, it was the same guy yeah. minus a mustache. Uh-huh. Okay, and then um, <laughs> there was there was um, <laughs> one of me and your perennial favorites, Tobolowski. Stephen Tobolowski, the greatest character actor Hollywood has ever known. <laughs> <laughs> and then okay, but then there was. Um, Bob Gunton was in it. Bob Gunton, he was the bad guy. He was great. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, mean I, I will. The end of the movie where he like walks in with those sunglasses and that weird uh, collared shirt. What was it with the like six buttons with the yeah. weird like folded over collar? But and... I was like, holy fuck, mid nineties. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I saw that shirt at the at the Z Cavaricci store. <laughs> Showing my age there, Bill. Yeah, that's quite the reference. <laughs> but then, okay, who played the you know the the kid that was taken hostages in the uh, in the? Uh, oh, you know, I'm not talking about him. Who the played girl? the girl? It was uh, what's her name? Cox. She was on that Unmarried with Children show. Nikki Cox. Yeah. She was also later on uh, Vegas, Vegas, I yeah. think. Yeah. I had the biggest crush on her for about a year or so. I remember that. Yes. And you know who she ended up marrying? Hmm. You ne- you would never guess a million years. <laughs> Bobcat Goldthwait. 
Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good for her. Okay, but so anyway, I saw, I was like, and it was just, I love going back and watching those movies from, say, the 80s to the, up to about the mid-90s, where you see these people, you're like, oh, hey, that was them before, that was them. Right. You know? That's one of the things I love about those, but. <laughs> Especially little movies like The Glimmer Man that most people don't know. Right, well, and okay, there's so much to love about The Glimmer Man. There's, there's the fact that they would let a cop dress in the way he dressed. Exactly, with his Nehru jackets, his gold lame Nehru jackets. <laughs> and with the big necklace. The love with beads, with the feathers them. hanging off. Yeah. And, and uh, That's a pretty lax dress code for a detective. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, and then the other thing that sort of leading to that, which I just, it just, for some reason, it's just such a 80s slash early 90s cop movie cliche where the the... Partner goes to the chief and says, or the you know the the chief and says, "This guy's a loose cannon," you know, <laughs> captain. And he goes, "You just have to deal with it. I can't be bothered with this." But then the the captain says to Keenan Ivory Wayans, who's actually has a valid point, saying this guy might be a murderer, which you know he's not. But yeah. He says, "What do you?" He said. Then Keenan Ivory Wayans says to him, "Where did he come from?" He goes, "What do you want me to look at his resume?" I'm like, <laughs> how did you hire him? It's like, well, what did you do? Just some guy wandered in and was like, I was a cop in New York. Okay, let's get you in a car with a partner. <laughs> I know. That movie started really quickly, too. It was like immediately into the like, you're in my chair. I'm your new partner. Yeah. Ooh. Well, and, and Steven Seagal, I mean, I don't even know what to say. He's, <laughs> it's with, like I said, it's like the... He has this thing where he's supposed to be this Buddhist, you know, and he, yeah. whatever. But then he just sort of is like, well, I'm not supposed to fight in that one scene. I, I can't fight. But then now I will literally <laughs> Two kill. Two minutes later. <laughs> and he carried around that little, the credit card that had the blade that popped out. I'm like, okay, so what Buddhist, who carries that in the jet at all? <laughs> what Buddhist carries a concealed weapon? CIA hitman named the Glimmer Man. Oh, Lord. That was the best description of a character's name ever when Brian Cox was saying, you see the jungle and there's nothing. And the next thing you see is a glimmer. And then you're dead. Yeah, that was, okay, whatever. <laughs> They sort of went the Colonel Sanders out with him, though, too. What, yeah. With the string tied. Oh. I mean, who, who since the Civil War has worn one of those? <laughs> Brian Cox. Well, and they were trying to make the point, hey, look, he's Southern. Really? Thank you. Well, you know, with him, they always have to hide that British accent of his, so I make him Southern. I guess. And then, okay, well, then, the fact that Steven Seagal and Keenan Ivory Wayans might as well have not even been in the same movie. <laughs> they, I mean, they had such bad, I mean, Chemistry, you, you, you know, yeah. you, you do these buddy pictures, you know, and it's like, okay, Mel Gibson and Danny Glover, they worked well together, or who, you know, yeah. whoever you want to talk about, mm -hmm. but they were just so bad, and then there was those weird little interludes where, where Keenan Ivory Wayne sort of went off and he was supposed to be being funny, yeah. and he was trying really hard to be funny, and it was Ooh. just not funny. Yeah. Like the part in the, uh, the Chinese uh, holistic medicine shop. That's dear penis. Oh, yeah, what? Yeah. And he's like, I feel so violated. And it's like, what? oh, okay. <laughs> it was a fantastic film. Everybody should watch. Oh, yeah. You got to see it. I mean, it's just... It's, and then it's the so Stephen... ridiculous. And I tell you, 
Um, what I really noticed at the very end when he's like kicked that guy out of the window and he's standing there, they've been trying to hide his weight. And that's where you could really see he was like 46 inches around. Yeah, he was, he was, he's always been a little heavier for an action guy, but there's certain movies where he's just plain fat. <laughs> well, and then, okay, we were having the conversation earlier off the, I don't want to say off the air, off the tubes. Yes. Um, about, okay, so he had this real specific career where that he was kind of big, not, <laughs> you know, yeah. For, like, really, it's weird. If you compare, like, those same little action stars from the late 80s and early 90s, Van Damme was a lot bigger. And his career was, like, a lot longer. But But, Steven Seagal, like, made six big movies, or at least six went to the theater movies, and then it was just downhill and gone. Yeah, but the thing about that is, though, too, you can say Van Damme's career was longer, but I don't know if it is because... Steven Seagal keeps cranking out these these straight to video well, movies. So does Van Damme. Van Damme comes out with at least one movie a year, at least or one direct video movie a year. Maybe I just for some reason noticed the Seagal one. <laughs> like okay, so Under Siege. I mean, that was a decent movie. That was it was for, his one actually good movie, I think. Yeah, and and you know it helps when you have say Erica. Tom Tommy Lee Jones and Erica <laughs> Leniak topless coming out of the, t- <laughs> the giant cake. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I love that part. That yeah. VHS got rewound. <laughs> that was the part that was a little green. It's been watched a few times. Right. <laughs> but, um, but then, you know, you mentioned before, you mentioned, um, well, there was like Hard to Kill, which was one of the earlier ones. Yeah, Hard to Kill was the second one. And what is the first one? It starts with like an A. But anyway. Above the Law. Yeah, Above the Law, Hard to Kill, um, Under Siege, Under Siege 2, On Deadly Ground. Oh, God. And, uh, and like Fire Down Below. And there's, there's like a, only a couple others. But the best story ever about him was John Leguizamo. Who in his not, who would in his stand up routine always loved to talk about Steven Seagal shooting with him on an executive decision? Yeah, <laughs> and he'd be like, he was like, he wouldn't come out of the, his trailer the day they had to shoot his death scene because he was he, he kept like calling and being like, can we change it? Can I be in the let's let's try and figure out another way to do this? It took him like six hours to get out of the trailer and come over and shoot his death scene. Oh man, well. That was a fun. That was an interesting uh, way to market a movie because in the in the marketing of that movie, they almost made it look like it was a Steven Seagal movie. Yeah, which it really wasn't because he was only in the first what ten fifteen minutes. Yeah, twenty or thirty, but yeah. Well, even yeah, if that. I mean, I don't know, but I just remember seeing it and going, "He's dead!" Like I, 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 really, <laughs> I had the impression this was kind of a Steven Steven Seagal movie. Yeah, I remember working in the movie theater when it came out and like they screened it and this, you, you don't know Stu out in podcast land, but you know Stu and he was like, "Steven Seagal's not in the movie. He dies like thirty minutes in. What's up with that?" Yeah, yeah. No, it was it was. It was sort of jarring, I mean, because at the time, Steven Seagal, I think he was sort of on the downside of his... It was a pretty quick ride to the downside well, of Steven. <laughs> sure, but I mean, he wasn't totally gone yet, but yeah. he was sort of on the downside, and I'm thinking that it looked like a pretty slick action movie, and it had Kurt Russell and whatever, and I'm thinking maybe this was uh, Steven Seagal, sort of making a little bit of a comeback Woo! and uh, whatever. No, nope, yeah. he's gone. He <laughs> falls out of an airplane. 
It was a cameo. It really was. You know, that, like, for the longest time, the thing I always remembered most about Steven Seagal is they made Under Siege 2 here in Colorado. <clears throat> and I will never forget the story that I read in the paper around that time that the train was, like, wandering around Colorado with faulty brakes that were starting fires. Yeah, the sparks were shooting off the train tracks. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Well, and, you know, just uh, even going back to to Glimmerman for just a minute, um, there's a couple things I actually... And I'm more prepared for this than I have been for most of these. I actually wrote down a couple things I want to talk about. Ooh, writing utensils. I know, right? Um, But the fact that... uh, now, this is something that really is a sort of topical even. The girl, okay, the, girl, the model who her boyfriend killed her and like yeah. bashed her teeth out and it was this horrible story. He ran away to Canada and then hung himself. Yeah. Well, they, the way they identified her body was the serial numbers on her breast implants. <laughs> and I watched, I was made to watch Nancy Grace not too long ago. Oh, what a bitch. Oh, God. She's the bane of my existence because I have I have somebody I know that loves to watch Nancy Grace, watches Nancy Grace every night. So <laughs> I was over there and it Nancy Grace. Sounds like an interesting a, person. Yeah, so I was over there and I was and they, they had some prosecutor on mm-hmm. from wherever, some district attorney's office, and they were asking him, Have you ever heard of anybody being identified by their breast implant serial numbers and the guy says i've never heard of that and back in 96 yeah the glimmer man that was in the glimmer man (laughs) her tips are too perfect slice go id this right well and the just the the corner guys just are like sure hack away (laughs) you know no (laughs) no what are you doing to the body wait no stop that's evidence you know here you go you know (laughs) and then and then just just the random, just the random, the, it's like they got the dictionary of cliches and just <laughs> stuck them in there. Like the fact that when the car, uh, when Steven, and you mentioned earlier when Steven Seagal grabs the gun from the guy and just oh, starts God. whacking him with it. Whack, 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 whack. It was like, just, what is going on? Like 45 times. Uh-huh. But just the fact that, okay, the car's going out of control and just so happens that the alley they're careening down for one, has big barrels of fluorescent light bulbs in it to make a big old pop. I know. saw that. I was like, well, they're going through like a light bulb factory. Okay. <laughs> right? yeah. And then, then just randomly, okay, fine, they crash, the car flips over, and Steven Seagal makes a fairly, actually, a little, fairly little cool escape, you know, out the yeah. back window. But then, oh, there's a gas truck in the alley, and it just blows to smithereens. <laughs> like, there was some really weird things in that movie that they didn't bother to set up well. Like the beginning with the hostage situation. Like, and he pushes the guy out the window. But they never set up the fact that there was a small gap there. There was only like four so three when feet. It, when he goes through the window and then comes through the window, I was like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, no, I said where, where the fuck is he? What was, the, I know, you're <laughs> like, did he just teleport back through the other window? <laughs> I know. Yeah. Was he wearing a rope? What's going on? <laughs> Oh, speaking of ropes, I forgot to write this down, but holy shit. How is it that Keenan Ivory Wayans gets shot, falls out a window, Steven Seagal's on the roof with his <laughs> rappelling equipment? I know! Where did he get that? I was like, oh, so you just happen to have your Himalayan climbing equipment with you, Steven, at the top of this building. That you just got to ten minutes ago. 
No, and they didn't even bother to try, try and make it seem like he just knew how to rig a, uh, a knot that you could just that you could use. Yeah. He actually had all the equipment, the little oh. you know carabiners, and I'm just. Well, and it's not like they even bothered to explain like, oh, this is. Oh, the uh, you know window washers equipment's right here. I'll grab but, it. But it was no. He, he just, just all of a sudden had his harness and his yeah, carabiner. And he everything. just he just they showed him like for like two seconds running across the roof, <laughs> kind of looking down, and then he's all geared up and ready to oh. go. And it, <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, and the other thing that I loved. Speaking of this sort of weird, this is only in the movies type of thing. When Keenan Ivory Wayne's is having that fight in his apartment. And everything gets set on fire, which, I, by the way, for, as flaming room fight scenes go, I thought looked pretty good. Because, you know, a lot of them, you see it, and it's like there's this one little little uh, little fire over yeah. in the corner, and it's like, oh, no, we're on fire. It's like, not really. Somebody lit a match over there. I know, but that was totally unbelievable that the gas line would break and spewing out gas amidst all this flame, but wouldn't blow up. That's exactly what I was going to say. Until... The flame slid right next to it, and then Keenan Ivory Wayans, or K-I-W, as I like to call him, <laughs> he has time to look at it and go, oh shit, get up, start running, and then it blows up. It's like, what do you have the least flammable natural gas in the entire world? <laughs> it's LA, they're very protective of their natural gas. Uh, I get it. <laughs> you really it's, have it's to want to like this. It's safe natural gas there. <laughs> you have to really get it going before it blows up. You have to sort of prime it. <laughs> but, no, I just, I mean, I thought, and again, it was, it crossed over from being just so bad to just being awesome because it was so bad. I know. It, it's, it's really kind of, if you can settle yourself in and know you're in for a shit fest. It's really kind of a joyful experience. Oh, it's yeah. like, hey, the Glimmer Man, man. And then you see all these cliches, and instead, of, and it's funny the reaction that I had to him. Instead of going, "God damn it, that is so stupid," I went, "Yeah, that's a cliche that they used in hundred movies." Well, sure, but I think half of that is because the attitude of the movie was so blasé. I mean, nobody was taking it seriously. Yeah, and I don't even think Steven Seagal was taking it all that seriously. And he, you yeah. know, okay, two, He's two. Known taking things too seriously. Too seriously, that's what I mean. Um, okay, two other things I want to mention, and they're both real quick. The Steven Seagal fighting technique, I have renamed it the Steven Seagal slap fighting technique. Yep. Because he does not actually just punch someone out. He has to slap him 75 times, then punch him mm-hmm. out. There's a lot of evasion in it. I mean, if you watch it, he's like always blocking somebody, and then it'll be like, whap. Ha ha ha! And then block right. and block and block and block. Whack! Ha ha ha! Yeah, and then and then when he really gets going, he'll smack him like six times. Whack! 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 whack. And then and then he'll still <laughs> just be sitting there going, "Ow, stop!" I know. It's like the Three Stooges <laughs> having a karate fight. I know. <laughs> and they speed the film up so it looks really fast. And I know that was so weird. I was like, "Wow, that's really quick editing." Holy shit! Yeah, I know, right? And so then the other thing is, and this is one of the very minor cliches, but always bothered me about cop and or action movies in, say, the 80s and early 90s, is that for some reason, in all these movies, all the people that are being arrested out there on the mean streets of L.A. are, for some reason, brought through the area where all the detectives and everybody sit, all the desks. Uh That is in no way (laughs) even close to what's ever happened. 
well, hey, maybe you haven't been arrested in L.A., man. Maybe know, they parade man. you around I, so people can discuss other cases while you sit there. Right, well, and it's like <laughs> all these cop movies where there's... And then there's a sort of a, slub, a sub-cliche where the, the suspect who's in the detective's uh, bullpen or whatever you want to call it uh, grabs the gun and starts shooting at people and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And the, one of the good examples I can think of of that is for some reason fair game. Where that happens. I don't remember that movie at all. With Maybe Cindy I blocked it out of my memory. But uh, I always remember that from Copycat. Yeah. yeah but right. So it's in all these movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's even in movies like... Oh, God, it was in Predator 2. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but you could list a whole list of movies. All the RoboCop movies do it. Yep. All of their suspects are like... Take him over there. Take him over there. And it's what? like all these desks where the detectives are answering their phones. And uh-huh. when does, where does that ever happen? <laughs> you get arrested, you go to jail. You don't get to sit there. <laughs> you get processed. Right. Yeah. No. It's but okay. That was just something I noticed. It was like this. Like I said, it's like they took out the cliche dictionary and just went. Oh, okay. That one. Here's one. But it's funny though because it felt like a real '80s movie, even though it was actually in mid '90s. Yeah. It, it was, did really feel like a, a mid-80s picture. Yeah, like mid to late 80s. But maybe we're just mislabeling that mid-80s mid to like, which is really kind of early 90s. I think. Yeah, maybe, but Because I think, I think most of the big Seagal and Van Damme movies come in that early 90s period. Sure, yeah. That, well, yeah, because that would have been... Because no, the 80s, that was more along the line. Because even late 80s was... Well, because Seagal's first movie, Above the Law, was like 88. Was it that early? Uh-huh. Okay. Well, then, because like Lethal Weapon, that was 87. Yeah. So, I guess, yeah, you didn't really get into those ones <laughs> we're thinking of until maybe the early Or the, early the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. But Before that, you had like such magnum opuses as uh, Running Scared with Billy Crystal. and. Yeah, it's funny because I, I uh, you know, they made, they made the new one, the Paul Walker movie yeah. called Running Scared. And when I'd go over to a friend's house and I'd see the cable guide or whatever, I'd see, oh, running scared. I'd be like, wow, they're really showing the, the Gregory Hines, <laughs> Billy Crystal. And I'd scroll down and be like, Paul Walker. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> it was like Billy Crystal and Gregory Hines. That happened to me a few days. Yes, it's a great movie. Peter Hines, man. Oh, let's not get started on Peter Hines. <laughs> I'm Which the only the, guy in that, the world who loves Peter Hines. Well, he did the, what you consider the best Van Damme movie. It, I think everybody considers it the best Van Damme movie. Not Time Cop. Right. I mean, it's well, not Well, didn't his... he do Sudden Death, too? Yeah. Well, there you go. It's like <laughs> Peter Hyams guided him from his biggest moment to his, like, the immediate death of his career. Because <laughs> Time Cop was, I think, his biggest grossing movie in the U.S. Okay. And then Sudden Death made, like, $4 million. Well, see, we mentioned, we kind of went over a little bit. We went over this a little bit when we did JCVD, but... Yeah. I've actually never seen Sudden Death, and you talk about How can it. you not? Pat, everyone this, in this arena will die by explosion, fire, and panic. <laughs> well, Powers <laughs> Booth. How can you beat Powers Booth? With a name like that, even, Powers Booth. It's the, I mean, he's the best. Well, and you mentioned, too, uh, going back to Seagal, Under Siege 2, um, Eric Bogosian. <laughs> he's the best. I, don't was, I oh. thought of another movie that like that, that he was the bad guy in. And now I can't, I can't remember. <laughs> you but, know, I was trying to think. It, it seems like in my memory, the person playing Seagal's daughter was Catherine Heigl, 
but I can't remember for sure. It was somebody like her if it wasn't her. In Under Siege 2? Yeah. Really? Uh-huh. Wow. <laughs> I can't, I'll have to look, but I, I think it was Katherine Heigl. Wow. Yeah, see, I haven't seen it, so I, I don't... I can't believe you've never seen Under Siege 2. No, well, like I said before, I actually... The one Seagal movie that I actually really kind of did like was Under Siege. Yeah. And I went, you know... That's it. I just, I'm, <laughs> I'm like, done. I'm done with Seagal. Like, He's peaked. Yeah, I've had it. I, that's the only one I like. I always had a soft spot for Fire Down Below, but it might be just for Marg Helgenberger. Yeah. And Chris Christopherson is the bad guy, so it's like, you got a couple guys I like, I can take Seagal. Yeah, I never saw Fire Down Below either, because as a joke I always make about that. <laughs> yeah, sounds it sounds like, like a, you've got crabs or it something. It sounds like, like a, yeah, like a term for jock itch or something. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> oh lord. The one I always wanted to see and have never seen was on Deadly Ground, just because it looked so fucking ridiculous, and I felt so what? bad for Michael Caine to be in that movie. What was the What was the storyline of that movie? Because I know like, Michael Caine was, I think, like an oil developer who was trying to rape the Arctic. Oh, it was like in Alaska. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's where you get like, uh, like. Um, What's his name? Ben Stiller doing the, the thing in, in Tropic Thunder. Yes, where he's got the babies in the Arctic or whatever. Oh right, and he's got that's kind of a play on yeah. Deadly Ground. Okay, okay. Well, I just you know my you know who loves Steven Seagal for some reason. Not in the sense of like oh I really want to see a new Steven Seagal movie, but yeah. we'll always watch him uh-huh. when they come out on video. Is my mom. Really? <laughs> For whatever reason. She saw, and she tells me, she goes, it's kind of ridiculous, but I don't know. I kind of like Steven Seagal. <laughs> Your mom is an interesting woman. I'll she, give you that. She, she has some of the most... She comes out with some of these things when she talks about movies and stuff. I just go, really? Like, <laughs> and not to say that she's wrong. It's just yeah. it wouldn't occur to me. It's your personal taste. Right, but she, she told me one time, she goes, you know, whenever I go to Blockbuster or whatever and I see a, a new Steven Seagal, and she's like, I know they're all straight to video and I know they're goofy, but um, she's like, but I, I'll watch him. Yeah. Well, oh, I don't. I don't mind him. I think the thing about Seagal and the thing about Van Damme is they're kind of enjoyable presences, and they never, they're never. You know, you don't have to get involved. It's just mindless kind of. I'm gonna kick your ass, or I'm going to kick your ass. Yeah, yeah, and stuff. yeah, and you gotta always love the fact that you can. You always gotta try and find the the uh, their big kicker line. Yeah. You know, and uh, and it. it, it I realize this is sort of jumping topics, a li- not really, but a little bit. When it comes to the kicker lines, mm-hmm. I actually watched, along with the movies that we were discussing, the Rift Tracks version of X-Men the other day. Yeah. And it was really funny. And I recommend to anybody out there listening to listen to these Rift Tracks. They're awesome. They're great. I love them. <laughs> uh, but there, <laughs> there was the line where, you know, the big, the big climactic fight at the Statue of Liberty, uh-huh. and there's... A, but before that, there's the fight in the gift shop, or the museum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With okay. Toad. With Toad, yeah, and Mystique and whatever, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Well, uh, when Storm comes out the windows, you know she's floating and it's a very cool shot, and the windows blow open and whatever. Yeah. And she says, "You know what happens to a Toad when it gets hit by lightning?" And then uh, they, one of the Rift Tracks guys goes, "Oh, awesome, awesome, awesome!" Quippy, or uh, witty remark coming here, and she goes, "The same thing that happens to everything else." And he goes, "Oh." <laughs> <laughs> that, that movie had the worst little kicker lines. Yeah. Like with uh, 
And the other joke was when they when they land the the plane on the water, you know, the X plane or whatever, and yeah. it's just this little slide, boom, and they kind of jump, they like bounce, and uh, <laughs> Wolverine says, "You call that a landing?" And then one of the chess guys goes, "You call that a Whittier mark?" <laughs> I mean, it's true because that movie I didn't really realize before that movie is. Horrible with those little kicker lines. Of course it is. I always notice that it's the same thing that happens to everything else. Well, great. What? what? Okay. <laughs> How does that make any sense? It's like, well, duh. But no, I mean, the one thing I really love about the Seagal, Van Damme, uh, even somebody like... Uh, there are, there's at least one more of these guys, isn't there? Yeah, there has to be. He's sort of B-level action guys. I mean, that, that guy today is Jason Statham, undeniably. Right, right. But Just making dumb or, you know, action pictures. Right, but the thing I always love is that to, to hear what they came up with as this little kicker line. Yeah. And um, the, one in, the one in Glamour Man was really dumb. Because remember he had the little conversation while he's fighting the other guy about... When you look in the mirror, when you wake up, you must be pretty proud of yourself. And he goes, yeah, I'm going to go to bed happy tonight because you'll be dead. And then Steven Seagal throws him out the window and impales him on the fence. And then he says something really stupid like, guess you won't be waking up in the morning. Or yeah. something stupid guess like that. Guess you won't be waking up happy. Yeah. Something it's like, like that. It's like, oh man. Because I always, I always <laughs> like those lines because they're so... Just... It's kind of... It's, I always feel bad for like the sidekick in those movies. Because, like, poor Keenan Ivory Wayans had, like, you know, like, halfway through the climax, he was just gone. You know, oh, I, I broke my arm, it got shot, whatever, see ya, I, I don't know. And then he just, like, can you make it down to the lobby? Yeah, I think so. And then he goes out to fight the bad guy, and Keenan Ivory Wayans, of course, shows up after he's dead. Well, see, oh, yeah, well, see, the thing that, that kills me about those movies... And, it's, and for some reason, it seems somewhat jarring in this movie because that movie actually, for for the type of movie it was, which was sort of the generic uh, buddy action mid '90s kind of movie, yeah, was fairly graphic when it came to the blood. Yeah, because and, and normally in those movies, you know, somebody gets shot, the little the, the squib goes off on their chest, and they go, they fall down. But in that one, they actually use the splatter effects on the walls mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Well thing that kills me about those movies, it's so inconsistent when it comes to gunshot wounds and stuff like that. They even made fun of it in Last Action Hero, where Keenan Ivory Wayans, he gets shot, okay, in the arm, and it's like he's supposed to be all hurt, he's hanging out, he's like, oh, help me, help me, help me. But then he walks into the lobby, he's got this little teeny little blood stain, the size of about a dollar bill, maybe. Uh-huh. And then, <laughs> and then he's like, oh, yeah, I can get out, I'm fine, whatever. Then they show him outside with the on the on the gurney on the stretcher, and he's going, "Oh God!" You know, well, make up your mind. Right. That was like one of the most painfully unfunny moments in that movie. At the end, he's like, "Don't call me, don't ride me. I don't want your yeah. bad luck." Oh my God! Don't send me flowers. Don't send me. Don't leave me a message. Oh gosh. <laughs> well, I think we might have spent too much time mm. on the Glimmer Man. So it might be best to move on. We did, but you know, at the same time, we also got into a lot of other things, which were great. But (laughs) I like the fact that we can just discuss these sort of generalized topics of 80s action movies and have something to talk about. Most people, you go, you you know, you could probably come up, someone out there could probably come up to you and me and go, 
okay, uh, 80s buddy action movies, go. And we can talk for <laughs> 31 minutes and 33 seconds about it. And, it, you know, but if, you know. And have to restrain ourselves. I know we could do this for hours, kids. <laughs> okay, so let's see. What are we moving on to? Are we doing a smoke break or you want to move on? That's up to you, bud. You're the smoke break king. Well, um, let's, let's just do one more. All right. We got, um, we got to save. Uh, we're gonna do true romance. We gotta save that for after the smoke break because we can probably both go on and on about that one. Yeah, of course. Um, let's do uh, run, fat boy, run. Run, fat boy, run. Or would you rather do Hancock? Well, run, fat boy, run is easy and it won't take too long. Okay, cool. One thing I didn't realize about that movie was it was directed by David Schwimmer. Yeah, I know. I kind of I was wondering it like why is David Schwimmer directing a small British movie? But I kind of figured, like, you could kind of tell that it was kind of so general for most it, of it. It right. was probably originally American set. And then they got Simon Pegg, and they're like, well, let's move into London. Yeah. Well, and did you notice, too, it was written by Michael Ian Black. Yeah. So I, I was just, really? This is sort of this weird convergence <laughs> of these sort of odd people. But I really like Simon Pegg. He's funny. He it's is true. funny. That scene where... where I'm just cracking having a breakdown. I did the scene where he's like humping the mannequin because he's got the rest. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that was so funny! I just I was dying. <laughs> my favorite part of that movie was the uh, the Indian landlord. Oh, do you want my spatula? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> that made me laugh. Yeah, that that guy was good. And you know, surprisingly enough, I think that movie actually. And I mentioned this before. Off the tubes uh, that uh, I think it had actually a lot of heart, and it, what didn't seem super contrived, I think it was actually pretty genuine when it came to the fact with this kid and and that kind of thing, and and maybe the, maybe that might ring a little truer for somebody who is maybe a single parent or especially yeah. a single dad or whatever. But I thought that it was surprisingly heartfelt. Yeah, uh, I, I thought it was. I mean, it was it was kind of emotional at the end when he's. Running on his broken leg or whatever. Yeah, and and the thing I what sort of t- to me, w- the parts that I thought were a little more, uh, I don't know what you want to say. They rang true to me at least. Yeah, were the parts where he was talking to people about the fact that he was scared that he wasn't going to be a good enough uh, dad or a good enough yeah. husband. Yeah, that scene between him and Tandy Newton on the balcony that was a really good scene. I thought. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I also actually really like the scene between him and the landlord when they're having tea. Yeah. Which had one of the... And this is a very easy thing in movies to do is to take a scene that's fairly somewhat heavy, maybe more serious, and then put a little joke on the end of it to break the ice. Yeah. The, oh, God. It had one of the best ones ever. But do you remember the Indian... What the, what the landlord says? Uh-uh. He's like... He, he said something about, I made myself into, the, into good enough and I remembered all the love... And I remember being so happy when we got married. But most of all, I remember all the fucking. <laughs> and, I was just, and he just looks up at his wife's picture and he's like. <sighs> I just thought that was so funny. You know, I'll tell you. It's one, there is one thing about romantic comedies that I just hate. That if it's done badly, you can really notice it is. And it's it's not really done well in this movie, and that's when the the guy the girl is in love with, or you know when she's not with our hero, the new guy, yeah, is so transparently a bad guy. Well, 
I know exactly what you mean. But see, in that in this movie, to me, mm-hmm. I thought the problem was is that toward the beginning of the movie, he seemed like a nice enough guy. He seemed like a decent guy. He was amiable and he was fairly nice to Simon Pegg and whatever. But then toward the end of the movie, fairly abruptly, he turns into just this asshole. Well, but you got hints of it at early. Like, why would... They, I mean, he was so competitive. True. With, like, the boat scene where they're doing... <laughs> dun da da You know, like, yeah. oh, Jesus. Whose boat is this? Those two little kids. <laughs> he throws a little jet skier. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then the, 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 oh, God. The scene in the locker room where he's standing there naked and Simon Pegg's trying to... He's like... <gasps> and he's like, puts his leg up on the bench. He's like... And then at the end he says, can you see my point? He's like, yes. Yes, I can. <laughs> but no, I just, I think, I actually, I, I liked that movie a lot. And I actually liked it better than I thought I would. I thought, oh, you know, it'll be sort of this goofy. And yeah. see, I actually didn't know it was as much of a romantic comedy as it was. I thought it was more of a straightforward comedy. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, well, with Simon Pegg, he's not really done anything but these, like, hard-ass comedies. Yeah, yeah. Like Hot Fuzz. Hot Fuzz and, uh... uh Diamond of the Dead. <laughs> Sean? Sean of the Dead. <laughs> I kept wanting to say I David. I was waiting for I you. I kept wanting to say, like, Dan of the Dead. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah. It was... I liked it a lot, and I think that... Si- I liked Simon Pegg. I don't think I've actually seen Simon Pegg in anything that I haven't liked him in. I even liked him in Star Trek. Yeah, he's alright. I like this ship. That's exciting. <laughs> That's like one of my favorite lines from Star Trek. <laughs> I That's don't exciting. Know. I had issues with Star Trek. We never talked about Star Trek, did no, we? No, we didn't. Well, we'll save that one for next time, maybe. All right. I don't know. Well, or we could just do. We one. could just do that instead of say true romance. Yeah, fur, fine. Fur, fur. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, no. I mean, here's what we'll do. We'll. Uh, we kicked out Shattered already, so we'll take the smoke break. Anything else you want to say about uh, Run, Fat Boy, Run? No, no, I think we've covered it. I avoided it for weeks. I had it on my Netflix, and it was here in the house for like three weeks, and I finally gave it a watch, and I enjoyed it. So yeah. don't avoid it if you get it. Yeah, you know, it's funny, because that kind of same thing happened to me. I downloaded it, because I had heard it was, it was good, or I had heard it. Actually, maybe not even that. I had just seen that Simon Pegg was in his comedy, and I like him, whatever. Mm-hmm. So I downloaded it. And I never watched it, never watched it, never watched it. I'm like, screw this. So I deleted it off my computer. Yeah. And then I was, and then, you know, just when you had said, yeah, you know, watch that. And I was like, oh, yeah, I wanted to watch that too. So I actually re-downloaded it and watched it. It was weird though. It was one of those ones just hung around forever and I never watched. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, we're going to take a smoke break. We'll be back. We're going to have to straighten it out. We're going to have to do something with Star Trek and True Romance. And we may go long tonight. We're going to go long tonight, kids. So... Bear with us. Put on your jammies. <laughs> we're back. <laughs> yeah, for people in the podcast world out there, we were gone for a millisecond, probably, considering I rewound it almost exactly back to where we stopped. But for us, I mean, you know. Ooh, hey, this could be days later for all you know. <laughs> We've had six benders. <laughs> we, a quick trip to Vegas. <laughs> right? I've been arrested twice. Jeez, Amos. I know, right? It was quite the weekend. Yes, it was. <laughs> Speaking of benders, we'll do Hancock next. Oh, is it, I'm the master of the Segway, Phil. You, know, <laughs> you just can't get any better than that. You know, I'll tell you, 
I, I watched that movie, and I know I, may, I think we might have mentioned it on here last uh, a week or two ago, but I watched it kind of in two parts. Where I watched the first half hour, and uh-huh. then I kind of got sick of it, and I turned it off, went to bed, and the, you know, a few days later, I watched the rest of it. Uh-huh. And the first half hour really kind of upset me. Yeah. I was like, this is really, really kind of mean-spirited and ugly, and I don't want to watch it. And then the, the last half of it, I was like, you know what? This is an okay movie. Really? Because I sort of got the I, I sort of went the other way. I went the first half of it I thought was a really good idea. It's sort of taking this superhero thing and turning it on its ear a little bit and going, okay, the guy's a drunk and he's an asshole and he, you know, and I thought it was a good idea. Like I, I like the idea well, of it. Well, it's it's certainly and it's a movie without a plot. If you know, oh notice. god, I mean, it is the highest concept of a highest of a high concept movie ever. Yeah. Essentially, you can sum that up in like four words, like. Drunk superhero makes good. Yeah. And that's it. That's yeah. that's your plot. You just have to make a movie around that. Yeah. And well, and see for me, I, I like the first part of it better because I kinda went, that seems like a good idea to me in that it's again taking the superhero thing and twisting it. Yeah. But then when it got into the whole thing about <laughs> that's his was it his sister? What is his lover? Was it she turned out to be one of the same as him, they just happened to run into each other. I was going this doesn't make any sense. I mean, I, <laughs> because they had to resolve their plot device somehow. Well, but, but the, to me, you wouldn't even have to get that into it. You wouldn't have to get that complicated and weird about the whole plot. All you'd have to do is just say, you know, okay, look, he's an asshole. He's well, a drunk. You, you have to give him a foil, though. That I think that's yeah. what they ran into. But then, of course, the foil. Last, it's only like the mid 20, 20 minutes or so. Right. Before then, that's kind of resolved and you move on to their joke bad guys. Right, right. And I don't know, I just, and you know, you mentioned the, the whole mean spirited kind of thing. Yeah. And I think Peter Berg, who directed that movie, verges into that a lot. Yeah. Because the one movie where he really doesn't verge into being mean-spirited like that, which is one we did, was The Rundown. Yeah. Because very bad things, that was, the whole movie was just horribly <laughs> mean-spirited. Did you notice his cameo in Hancock? As no. the doctor at the end? I didn't. Who was working on Charlize Theron? Yeah, I didn't notice. It's Peter Berg. Okay. Um, but anyway, what was I going to say? Yeah, it was, I mean, if you look at it, it's the same as Unbreakable, where that whole movie, that whole hour and a half sequence, is like, the first act in another picture. It's, oh. it's just, you yeah. know, essentially where you figure out, you know, what's going on and who's who. And, that, and that's like the first act of any other movie, but it, it's, it's stretched out so much. I mean, the bad guys are so little, they're like the end of the first act bad guys in most other movies. Sure, the ones that don't really matter. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It, yeah, and, and the fact that it was... They had to be a certain distance apart, otherwise their powers would go away, and they were... I, I mean, I, yeah. I was... What? You know, I, <laughs> whatever. I don't know. I, I, but, I mean, I kind of enjoyed it when he... When, you know, like, he was actually, made, like, uh, in the prison, and he, he accepted the, the, the AA stuff and all that. It was kind of nice. And then he got out, and he was, he was telling everybody, good job. That made me laugh. That was pretty funny. Like, and he walked up to the police chief and he's sort of real uncomfortable looking at him like, you're doing a good job. <laughs> you know, or whatever. That was, it was, that was pretty good. Yeah. I did like that. But uh, overall... It was just so stupid. I mean, I just could never get over the fact that their bad guys were so minor. It was just the guy who's, who he stuck the other guy's head up his ass. 
Yeah, no, I know. It was like, it was, who cares? Yeah, these aren't, I mean, it was they weren't even, I don't know, they were just the quote-unquote generic bad guys. They were there to make the ending happen. Right. And I, I sort of wanted to like that movie because I thought that it was a good idea. Yeah. And I liked sort of the concept of taking the superhero, making him an asshole, because, you know... Yeah. Superheroes in superhero movies, there's always the superheroes who are like these super good guys, and then there's the villains, these super bad guys. You don't get these guys that actually are trying to do well, but maybe they are an asshole. You never know, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But uh, I just, I ended up just really not liking it. And maybe, I mean, I it, that actually is Will Smith's highest grossing movie. No, it's not. Yes, no, it it's is. not. His highest opening movie, sorry. Oh, maybe. His highest opening movie, my mistake. They are going to make a sequel, I understand. It's in the planning as Hancock 2. But maybe in the sequel, things won't be so flimsy and yeah, maybe Yeah, well, because have... they won't have to go through all the... I mean, it was like nothing but expo- exposition about who Hancock was and what his relationship to the girl was. Literally, it's first act shit. It's the right. exposition of getting to know your characters. And right. that was the whole movie. Well, yeah, okay. So uh, what maybe have, I have hopes that Hancock 2 will be better. But I will <laughs> well, say... Well, X-Men 2 certainly was. Because X-Men sure. kind of runs in that same vein where the first sure. one is just kind of like character introduction. Sure, sure. But I think X-Men did a much better job of making an actual movie out of it. Yeah. <clears throat> much. In, you know, an act, uh, uh, sort of more of a complete movie. Yeah, and there was there's always that that infamous forty five minute cut that they did to X Men too. That you never really know what the what what Brian Singer's original vision was because they cut forty five minutes of the movie. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, yeah, because you can always tell when they've taken the axe to a movie because it's like exactly an hour and a half long. Mm-hmm. And that was one where they did it. They they cut it from two fifteen to one and a half. I see. Now I haven't seen X Men two in a while, so maybe I'll go back no, and watch it. No, this is X Men. Oh, the first X Men. Yeah. Oh, okay. See, I just watched the first X Men, and I, I don't know. I mean, I think that in just very veering off a little bit with X Men, I think that X Men again, like you said, it's more of a, it's more of almost just a setup for X Men two, mm-hmm. which but, is the only of the three. It's like the brilliant one. X Men two is really good. Yeah. Uh, X-Men 3 surprised me as dark as it was. I don't... X-Men 3 surprised me with how crappy it was. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, but there's a, there's a big difference between... In the talent thing, between Brett Ratner and uh, Brian Singer. Sorry. Well, sure, but... <laughs> I, I, but see, for me, the reason that I was surprised... Because X-Men 3 is a pretty dark movie. Yeah, yeah. And yeah people die, blah, blah, blah. The well, Phoenix... Well, yeah, but I'm just saying that for Brett Ratner, I mean, Brett Ratner, that guy, I mean, it seems like in any of his other movies, he wouldn't kill a, you know, a a third-rate thug, you know? (laughs) Well, he did Red Dragon. Oh, well, that was (laughs) great, too. (laughs) I remember reading that he had to make The Weatherman, I think, with Nick Cage, to prove that he could direct something that wasn't shitty so he could do Red Dragon. And The Weatherman proved that? I enjoyed the weatherman. Okay, okay. I oh, never mind. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> Do you ever even see it? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty dark, grim movie, and it's funny. Anyway. Okay, well, maybe I'll watch it then. <laughs> but, okay, so yeah, Hancock. Just my final verdict on Hancock is I wanted to like it better than I did. I ended up not liking it very much. I thought it was a big fat mess that yeah. looked like it cost a lot of money. 
I think maybe it was because the maybe the reason I uh, liked it better than I thought I would is because I had such low expectations of it going in. Well, I think that I can, had told that can you that really affect your thing. If you're going in thinking, "Oh fuck, this is going to be a piece of shit. I'm going to be dreading the next hour and a half." Yeah. Then if all of a sudden if it's like momentarily interesting, you're like, "Yeah, it's not that bad." What am I, What was well, I worrying about? Yeah, yeah. No, I I know what you mean. And then it, it's also true where you go in and you go, oh man, this movie's going to be good, and then it's not as good, and you're going, and then it sways you so far the other way. Well, that was shit, even if it wasn't <laughs> shit. I, it's a little movie, and I don't think anybody besides me saw it, but The Clearing with Robert Redford and Helen Marin, where um, Robert Redford is kidnapped. The trailers made it look so good. I was like, oh, finally a thriller I can love. <laughs> and then I watched the movie and I was like, that was the biggest piece of fucking dreck ever. I don't even... It's I, like Willem Dafoe kidnaps Robert Redford and ransoms him. Okay, yeah. I, this is ringing a bell, but I never saw it. Yeah, not many people did. Yeah. Anyway. Okay, so... <laughs> okay. Moving on. Hey, moving on. Anyway, uh, let's go to... <laughs> that will always make me laugh. Um... <laughs> Okay, let's. Do you want to do? Do you want to do Star Trek or do you want to do True Romance first? Uh, let's get Let's get True Romance out of the way. We'll save Star Trek as the cherry. Okay, good. All right, so True Romance. I love that movie. Honestly, that that I will put that in one of my top at least ten favorite movies. Well, I wouldn't say that, but it might be in my top twenty-five or thirty, but it's not in my top. Well, maybe top it's 10's a little movie. high, but I would say, okay, whatever. Top 15, whatever, okay? <laughs> it's in my top six it's Quentin in, Tarantino movies. How about it's, that? It's in my top 1,000 movies I've seen. No, <laughs> but no, I love that movie, and I can still watch that movie. It's one of those movies where we, when we did our sort of greatest hits episodes that I'm surprised that we didn't think of because it's one of those movies that I can still watch, even though I've seen 100 times. Yeah. I can actually still watch it uh-huh. and enjoy it. Yeah, it was on TV the other day. I watched about 15 minutes. It's a great movie. It's got a really intelligent script when Quentin Tar- before Quentin Tarantino was Quentin Tarantino. Right, before he came Q, yeah. whatever he And I think it probably benefited from the fact that it had somebody adapting Quentin Tarantino. You had Tony Scott also kind of reining it in sometimes. Which is weird to say that Tony Scott reining anything in. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that it benefited from the fact that it was a Quentin Tarantino script, but it wasn't made by Quentin Tarantino. If he would have directed, excuse me, if he would have directed that movie, it would not have been, not have been nearly as good. Yeah. Um, I tell you, my, I, it, forever, one of my favorite performances in movies is Saul Rubinek doing his impression of Joel Silver. Joel Silver. That's the funniest shit ever. I, you're my child and you stabbed me in the heart. Yeah, oh, just freaking it. out. How much did that day cost us? Someone is stealing from me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't see enough of you all week. You gotta call me on my phone on Sunday, and he's got that real weird sideways lisp yeah. on Sunday, and just well, him. I mean, they're, they're, the thing that's great about that movie more than anything else it's, well, is that every supporting character is good. Oh, it's so great, and they all have their little vignettes, it, so that you get to know them, and they have something funny. And they're great. Yeah. I mean, I love, um, gosh, I can't even remember his name, the, the, the roommate who goes for the audition. They Michael have, Rappaport? Yeah. I oh, love that God. scene where he's got uh, a Conchata Farrell is interviewing. He's like, so you got Bill Shatner on your hood. And you want to get him off. <laughs> Go. <laughs> where the fuck did he come from? Shoot him. 
Get him! Get him! And he's got his hands going like he's on the wheel and everything. And she's like, Thanks, oh, you're, you were great. You're a great actor. But no, like, like you said, every supporting character in that movie is great. And that's, I think, even Val Kilmer, who you don't even see, yeah, is, good, is good. And uh, Brad Pitt? Bro, oh, God, Brad Pitt. That's great. <laughs> you guys want to smoke? Oh. Uh, oh. And then he did. Okay, so then you go, condescend me, man. I'll fucking kill you, man. But... <laughs> No, I, and I'm not sure what it is about whether it was just a really good the script was good enough to have all those supporting characters be that good or if the with Tony Scott making something from that script or if it was the sort of just this convergence of I think it was and I think they hired some really great you know supporting character actors to do these great parts perfectly right. I mean it's like that scene between Christopher Walken and um Dennis Hopper. Dennis Hopper is like perfect filmmaker. Oh yeah, yeah, and it's I, so great. I, <laughs> you're an eggplant. <laughs> you're a cantaloupe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I know. It's and the thing that's funny about it is that even somebody like James Gandolfini, yeah. who was really nobody at the time, is it, he's just right for that guy. Doesn't she like stab him with a wine cork? Or She's anything? yeah. She stabs him in the foot with a. Uh, corkscrew. Yeah. And then, yeah. Why have, would I, wine corker? What yeah, the fuck's wrong with me tonight? Anyway. Well, whatever. But have you seen the, uh, there's actually a slightly different version of the movie that's considered, I don't know if it's considered a director's cut or an extended cut, uh, but the one part of it that you can really tell that it's extended or a little bit different uh-huh. is that scene where, uh, where, um, Gandolfini is getting beat up and shot, or like shot at and yeah. lit on fire and whatever by Patricia Arquette. And um, that's, that's where you can see it because in that scene, Patricia Arquette is a lot, she goes a little bit more off the deep end and she just, <laughs> I mean, she, she really just yeah. loses her shit. Yeah, I don't know. I think, I think um, Quentin Tarantino might have taken his stuff more seriously. And Tony Scott gave it kind of a peppy atmosphere. Right, yeah. It kind of made it a little funnier. You know? Yeah, well, and I think that Tony Scott, too, with going that, from... Uh, with that great score. I'll never forget the... Just, yeah. yeah. Like, oh, this is kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I guess... In, this is where, too, I, I think that... It, even though it's one of those things that Hollywood people rail against all the time, blah, blah, blah. They tested that movie, and originally... Clarence dies, yeah. and it's just Patricia Arquette taking off the Mexico. But they tested it, and people just were like, no, he can't die, whatever. And so they, they went back and made it so that he lived. And I think that it actually kind of benefited it, benefited the movie. Because if you go through all that, just have him die. Yeah. That and the fact that it was never a movie that was supposed to be super grim. Yeah. I mean, it was grim subject matter. Well, that's like putting a, a rape scene in striptease. Exactly. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, I mean, the movie was slick and it was fun and it was like, there's all these people cracking jokes and Brad Pitt's a stoner and, yeah. you know, whatever. So, and they, <laughs> you get to meet Captain Kirk. You know? <laughs> but, yeah, I love that movie and I guess anybody that hasn't seen it it's listening You're to retarded. <laughs> <laughs> well, but no, anybody that hasn't seen it, I always tell them to, to watch it because it's just a great movie. 
And <clears throat> that was before. I think that was before you decided that Tony Scott was just off his rocker. Well, that was before he went off his rocker. How about that? <laughs> you may be right. <laughs> I don't know. There was somewhere in the mid-90s where Tony Scott's just like, whatever, put it all on the screen. Well, okay, where is it? Then he went from True Romance, which was pretty subdued yeah. when it comes to the Tony Scott of Man on Fire. I think the breaking point where he started to use the different film stocks and the black and white and the weirdness was probably the fan. Because that's where he started yeah. to do that a little bit, and after that it was kind of more and more and more and more. He was that's doing that, true. That, that, those weird film techniques. Okay, you're right, because I always forget that the fan is Tony Scott. Because it was such a bad movie. Such a terrible movie. It's just terrible. Yeah. Just terrible. It's, well, it's, it's like, it's almost a remake of the King of Comedy. Yeah. And except done, like, super seriously. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, then we can agree, though, that, that True Romance is a great movie. It's and a great you, movie. Every, you gotta see it. And I actually read this article uh, about a year ago, must have been. There was this article in Maxim Magazine. Um where it was something like the 15th or 20th anniversary of True Romance, uh-huh. uh, and they got interviews with all the a-, a bunch of the actors that were in it. Yeah. And it was one of the most interesting articles. It was something that I was interested in, and it was really well done, and I was like, this is awesome. It's True <laughs> Romance, because apparently it's this really big cult movie now, and when it came out, it didn't really do much. No, but, but it, it's gotten a cult over time. Sure. Because it's a quality picture, man. And that's... Unusual. Most, you know, cult movies are cult movies because they're totally horrible. Something <laughs> like Showgirls. Well, yeah, but it's also it's also just enough off its off kilter and its its kind of humor and everything to where I can see why it wouldn't connect with people. Yeah, I could see that too. I, I mean, mean, you kind of like, especially the ending, like the whole Joel Silver thing. You kind of have to know that joke to get that part of the movie. Where that's supposed to be Joel Silver. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it might work without it, but yeah, it's better if you do know that's who it was supposed yeah. to be. Uh-huh. And the fact that Joel Silver takes himself so seriously, and he did the interview for the he did the interview for like the HBO first look at the Matrix while he's sitting on the helicopter with the fucking <laughs> machine gun, like leaning yeah. on the machine gun. He's the worst about. It. He's always like on set for his interviews, like, and eh, the movie's really great. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna blow oh. some shit up. Yeah. Well, oh, you know what may have been almost a tipping point, too, when we're talking about Tony Scott, almost, maybe not quite, was Last Boy Scout. See, and I've never seen that. You've never seen The Last Boy Scout. I, I'll, I'll stick with my thing that the fan was his tipping point. You're probably right, but I think that... And that, I think where it got, mo- almost certainly where it got the most excessive is Domino. But the big movie where it got most excessive is, is Man on Man Fire. Man on Fire, which... We, and again, we've said this before, so we don't need to go back over this too much. I really like Man on Fire. Anyway, okay, moving on. Moving on. Speaking of, okay, going back to, you get to meet going Captain Kirk. Going back to Men on Fire. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> you get to meet Captain Kirk. Well, not in the, uh, not in the audition, but yeah. <laughs> oh, this isn't working. Segway. <laughs> that segue didn't quite get It there. should have been ten minutes ago. Whatever. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> so, Star Trek, okay. Uh, I'm going to let you go first on Star I've been hogging this a lot, going first on all these. You go yeah. first on um, Star Trek. Star Trek, I don't know. 
It's like, I'm actually a fan of the series. I've seen every episode of the original, partly because my brother was such a big fan. But, um, and I've seen all the movies and I love them. And that movie had, I had issues for it. And I remember reading that J.J. Abrams said, like, if you're a really big fan of the original series, probably shouldn't see my movie. Wow. He said you probably shouldn't see it? Yeah. Because you're not going to like it. I'm surprised he didn't qualify about something like, it's different, so just watch out. No, he was, because Star Trek fans are aggressive about their little product, just like Star Wars fans, when they reacted to the new trilogy. Oh, yeah. Um, But... So yeah, he said he actually advised people not to see it uh, if you liked the original. And I'll tell you, I, I think it's an enjoyable movie. I think by and large, you take it on its own. It's an enjoyable movie. I enjoyed it, blah, blah, blah. But you throw it into that fucking universe. And it really made me uncomfortable that there was a love interest between Spock and Uhura. I couldn't watch the screen. I <laughs> yeah. couldn't watch him. I was like, oh God, this shouldn't be happening. What, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the funny thing... I am obvious, well, not obvious to anybody out there in podcast land, but um, obviously between you and me, I'm by far the lesser Star Trek fan. Right. Um, and I, you know, I have nothing against Star Trek. I, I've seen the movies. I've seen all the movies. Yeah. Um, I haven't maybe seen all the episodes of the original series. I saw a bunch of the episodes of Next Generation. Me and my dad used to watch them when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, but after that, when it came to the TV shows and stuff, I haven't seen anything. Yeah. I haven't seen Voyager, uh, Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. or Enterprise, Enterprise, or any of those. So my experience is limited to the movies. <laughs> and the next gen. The next generation, which I probably haven't even seen all of them, but I've seen a bunch of them. Yeah. And I've seen some of, I've seen a bunch of the original episodes. Yeah, I haven't still seen all them. Yeah, I haven't seen all of them, maybe, but I've seen <laughs> some of them. And um, I thought, it. see, and it didn't, Maybe be coming from my experience with Star Trek being more in the movies. Yeah. It didn't sort of bother me as much because in the movies, even more than in the TV shows and all that stuff, it seemed like they were a little looser with it with the, when it came to the sort of chronology of it or the Well, sure. Canon, and and he, they, gave him, they gave themselves a great story out by going, you know, having this guy go back in time and change everything so that... Your storyline doesn't exist. We're doing our own thing, kind of, you know, well, screaming yeah. that at the audience. Right, but and I liked the movie. I actually, I, I mean, I thought it was really well done. I think that the turning the uh, bridge of the Star Trek Enterprise into an Apple Store was a little bit odd. <laughs> yeah, but it's a little um, true. It looked more futuristic than it should have. I mean, if you go back and you look at the old series, it did not look like that. Sorry. No, that, well, <laughs> going back to the original even, series, that was like cardboard but that's and what like it's supposed knobs. To, well, yeah, but you, you, I would think that you'd want to go there to a certain extent to at least have some, you know, similarity. I would think so, too. I really, and see, I thought that, too. But then I also thought, you kind of, you, it's almost like you can't do that because people that maybe weren't huge Star Trek fans and they just saw that there was this Star Trek movie coming out that looked like a cool movie. Yeah. They go, well, that looks cheesy. What, the, what is that? You know? <laughs> I guess. I guess. I don't know. It's a thin line, man. It's like, it's a fine line to walk. <laughs> the other thing I really had a problem with about that movie was Chris Pine. He just didn't have the gravitas to play Captain Kirk. He is no Bill Shatner. Oh, who is though, Phil? <laughs> but no. But I, I mean, even, I mean, 
young Bill Shatner was such a stud, and this guy's such a dud. <laughs> oh, hey. Ooh, hey, we're doing great on this one. But no, <laughs> I understand what you mean. I do. I, he, I think that Chris Pine is fairly generic, yeah. and I think that to play Captain Kirk, you can't really be generic. Because Captain Kirk was such always, even back in the original series when nobody knew who he was, Shatner was just this real kind of original guy. I mean, yeah. that was what he was. That was him, and that was it. You know, yeah. he had the distinctive speech patterns. He had, yeah, you know, the weird movements. It's yeah. just Shatner. Well, but see, you can't replicate that, though. I know you can't replicate it, but you've got to put somebody up there who can hold the screen, and yeah. he would just lose it. I mean, well, and it's you were constantly paying attention to whoever else was on screen. Well, it's funny because it, in all the articles I read about Star Trek before it came out, people, interviews with the cast and the crew and everything else, they would just rave about the guy. And I know. When I saw the movie, I was kind of, well, I was like, well, I mean, he's not bad, but he's not anything special. Yeah, it, it just wasn't great. You need to have, I mean, it, that show. As much as, you, as people want to remember it as, it, it was not an ensemble. It was the Kirk Spock McCoy show. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then the supporting characters were Uhura, Scotty, and Chekhov. Chekhov and, and, yeah. and, you know, so it's like, in Sulu. Can't forget Sulu. Yeah. Would you like me to continue talking like Sulu? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will say that there were, okay. Getting away from the stuff I maybe we didn't like so much, there was things I really did like about the movie. I thought, and I don't know if this is even a compliment so much anymore because it's so yeah. it's so ubiquitous. But the effects were really good, really good. I mean, the effects were really good. I mean, um, I don't. It's it's kind of that was kind of funny to me that for the original Star Trek movies, uh, Paramount was always cheapskates about them. They would I th- I think the most they ever gave them for a movie was like fifty or sixty million. Like, never anymore. So they always kind of looked about as good as the TV shows looked. And yeah. for this movie, I, from what I hear, they went all out. That thing costs like $200 million wow. to reboot a franchise whose last movie made 40 Right. Well, but the thing is, though, is that you got this built-in... Yeah. You got this built... For one, you well, have this built-in... you've got built a built-in in awareness. Awareness, right. And then you also have a built-in fan base. But the problem with that is is that the fan base is so insanely loyal to what they consider to be the quote-unquote real Star Trek that you might piss them all off. Yeah, and I think, I think they did a good job of throwing in enough of the cliches that you'd look for. <laughs> the like red-shirted the red guy. Shirt, that was the funniest. Yeah. But um, they did enough kind of nods to the original. Well, and to, the fact that Sulu had the sword. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that kind of placated a lot of the things you were you were looking to hate. True, true. I, I did, when it comes to, we were talking about the cast. The cast, I really liked, uh, I really liked Quint, uh, Jeremy Quinto, is that his name? Quinto, yeah. Uh, as Spock. Spock. <laughs> I liked Jer, uh, John Cho as yes. Sulu. Uh-huh. I liked, I, as I mentioned before, Simon Pegg I thought was good. <laughs> the guy that played Bones, he was just sort of there. I didn't really well, like him or dislike him. Well, Carl Urban didn't have a whole lot to do Yeah, at the end of the day. Right. I love Bruce Greenwood. He's one of those great, like, you know, little Canadian actors that just appears here and there and is like, nice and you want to pet his head. 
Like Millennium, eh? <laughs> Lots of great Canadian actors in Millennium. <laughs> now, if it, okay, there you go. There's our trivia question. Identify where the fuck that came from. What movie? No, TV show. Was it a TV show? Lots of great, yes. It was a TV show, sorry. Okay, what TV show did that quote come from? <laughs> lots of great, lots of fine Canadian actors in Millennium. <laughs> and send it to canufbi at gmail.com. And I swear to God, we got to get an email something. Even <laughs> if you guys... If you have a nice recipe. Yeah, if you want to know how the weather is here, if you wanna email us. If you want to send us a communist manifesto or something, I don't <laughs> care. Send us a fucking email. <laughs> an advertisement for your your millennial cult. That would be yeah. great. You know what? I, you know you made that joke last time about you guys haven't even gotten any spam. I checked it today. We haven't gotten any. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so, okay, that's the trivia question. Um, going back to Star Trek, uh, Uhura to me was a little bland. A little. Um, and you were, you're right, though. The whole thing where they tried to get the love interest between Uhura and Spock, I was going, uh oh. <laughs> No. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not go there. Because, I mean, yeah. even though I'm really, literally not, I mean, even if they wanted to make a make it to where they got married. I'd be like, well, whatever. I mean, Star Trek fans would go berserk. Apeshit. Yeah, but, pretty much. But to me, I'd be like, oh, whatever. That's what they're doing, you know? Because I'm not as big a fan of Star Trek. Yeah. But I still was going, I'm enough of a fan or enough of, um, uh, enough knowledge of the series and movies to kind of go, I don't think that's where you want to go. <laughs> yeah. It's about as good as having Nichelle Nichols doing a dance naked in Star Trek V. That was a little like, I can't watch that. She's like 60. Come on, guys. <laughs> well, and then, the, then in uh, Star Trek, it was, what, the Undiscovered Country uh, 6. Yeah. She's always leaning on something. She's always, she's always doing <laughs> the, these poses. And like, the thing's gotta have a tailpipe. And she's always like sort of casually. I know. You know it's like, what, what was the theme you're going for there but she's just relaxed and she's I know she's like I'm Uhura she's, I'm here I'll make your phone call baby. <laughs> right it was, like, it was like a Newport ad or something <laughs> Newport's going to space baby smooth and capable alive with pleasure <laughs> Ooh, we're a little off topic <laughs> but I really okay uh, trying to just rein this in a little bit I really did. I did like. I, I like Simon Pegg, even though Simon Pegg, he was like, I think he was almost the best of the supporting cast, and he only came into it like thirty minutes till the end. He, I think, I got the impression that he was the only guy there who was doing a consistent amount of improv. So he was kind of. He had his own part to play. He wasn't really playing Scotty. He was playing Simon Pegg playing Scotty, and so it kind of made him more interesting than everybody else. Yeah. Maybe. I didn't really get that impression, but I know what you mean. I, I, thinking about it, I think that I could see how that you might yeah. get that impression. But to me, I was like, uh, okay, I got the impression instead of that he was doing necessarily tons of improv, maybe it was that he was doing a lot well, of improv. Well, he had a lot more cute jokes. Well, that, and maybe it was just that he sort of, he looked, maybe it was just that he was doing a good acting job, but he looked like he was having like the best time of his life. Yeah. Making that movie uh -huh. or being that guy or whatever. But the thing was, there was a couple of things in the movie that completely could have been just erased, wiped out, and it would have made no difference to me whatsoever. In fact, it was a detraction from the movie, in my opinion, which was 
the scene where Kirk is getting chased by the big snow monster thing. Yes. I was just like, it was what? so tedious. I, I was sitting there in the theater going, Star Trek doesn't do big monsters. Right. I, I was like, this is more of almost like a Star Wars thing. Yeah. Star Wars does big monsters. Uh-huh. Um, and then... Jeez, excuse me. Okay, well, man, I haven't done a Budweiser plug for a while, but thank you, Bud Ice. We're back on track. Um, but the uh, the other one was when Scotty fell into the water tubes. Yeah, I was going. This is just this. Maybe this is supposed to be sort of comic relief, but it's not funny. And yeah, I don't. I couldn't really figure out what the point of that was. Mm-hmm. I know what you mean. I don't know. I thought I thought it was interesting. Like the one character we haven't talked about is Chekhov, and it was kind of nice to see that they got, actually got a Russian with a Russian accent to play him. But I kind of missed Walter Koenig. Yeah, and that fake Russian accent. The f- but see, the fake Russian accent is what everybody remembers. <laughs> I know. Not that he was coming to dinner. <laughs> you know? That's what I said. The nuclear vessels. <laughs> I mean, he had it perfect. It wasn't quite a Russian accent. It was just a Walter Koenig accent. Yeah, no, I know. But see, that's what everybody remembers. Uh It was so exaggerated and weird. And actually, the guy that they got to do the Walter Koenig part had enough of an accent where I found it a little hard to understand sometimes. I was which, t- which was funny because I think I've seen Anton Yelchin in other movies and his accent, and he doesn't have one. So they must have asked him to do a thick Russian accent. Which is weird because you could always understand what Chekhov was saying. Yeah. Even though it was goofy and oh. it was pronounced wrong, you know. Yeah. And That's I, what they said. I'll poor girl. Up. What the hell was Winona Ryder doing in that movie? With the old makeup on. and I know. I was just, wow, really? Oh. Uh, <laughs> I just about punched somebody just now. <laughs> what the fuck was Tyler Perry doing in that movie? I know. Holy As shit. An admiral. Oh my god, I wanted to literally punch AJ Abrams in the balls. They're <laughs> putting fucking Tyler Perry in that movie. Tyler Perry is like the bane of my existence, and I don't even know why, because I've only seen half of one of his fucking movies. Well, that's I hate enough. that guy. <laughs> but I saw that, and it was one of those things where in some of the other Star Trek movies, or even the shows, every once in a while, somebody would pop up with a cameo, and you'd go, hey, it's uh, whatever, you know? Yeah, it's, yeah. Christian Slater. Right. But, like, I saw fucking Tyler Perry, and <laughs> it just took me out of it so much, I'm like, oh, fuck this movie. I mean, and I got over I got over it once he was off the screen, but I just couldn't believe that he would put Tyler fucking Perry in his movie. I know, sometimes you have to be careful with cameos. Because they can either really pull you out of a movie or kind of make sense to you. And that was one where it was just like, Tyler Perry? Yeah, it completely pulled me out of it. And I thought about it later. And I went, okay, maybe he could justify it in saying, well, we're trying to reach to the black audience. What black audience? Star Trek! This is not... I mean, I am not racist, but Star Trek is not huge in the black community. (laughs) Well, it's true. Oh, God. I'm sorry I got a little worked up there, but God damn it, Tyler Perry can suck my fucking balls. He might like to. (sighs) At least that's the rumor about it. Okay, yeah. I need to find my happy place. (laughs) (laughs) Where there's no Tyler Perry. Is that that Billy Madison? It is Billy Madison. Or... Happy Gilmore. It's, 
Uh, it's Happy Gilmore. Gilmore. Yeah. With the with the dwarf with the jugs of beer. Yeah. Well. No, it's the girl in the in the lingerie with the beer, and then the dwarf for some reason is riding a tricycle. Oh, that's right! <laughs> and his grandma's winning the like slot machine, the like eighteen uh. nineties slot machine. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> okay, so, so we found your happy place. Yes, we did find my happy place. There is no Tyler Perry in my happy place. So that was our discussion of Star Trek. Well, okay, unless you that... have something more. Ah. Oh, I was gonna say I thought Eric Bana was one of the better villains. Actually, he was, he was. I thought he was, considering the character he was playing, I thought he came across as suitably sort of nutty. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Uh, what's his name? I can never. Uh, the Mexican who played his sidekick. Um, he's got two, like Fernandez. Fernandez is his last name. <laughs> but anyway, wow. um, uh, blah, 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 blah. he wasn't very good. Anyway. The sidekick? Yeah. Oh, I don't even remember, so I guess he was The one who fought, like, Kirk on the platform, or Spock on the platform. Oh, the... right, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, right. but I thought, like I said, I, the problem that I always kind of Clifton Gonzalez Gonzalez. There That's you it. go. Gold star for Phil. <laughs> um, the problem that I would, and I thought of this earlier, and, I, and I, I didn't mention it, but the problem that I've had with Star Trek movies mm-hmm. and Star Trek sort of in general, I guess, is that the villains tend to be really generic to me. No way! No way. I mean, way. besides... Bullshit. Besides Khan. Khan. Khan is awesome. Okay. I'm just so who else? blown away. Who else? Um, uh, Christopher, uh, well, Christopher Plummer in Star Trek VI. Cry havoc and let's slip the dogs of war. It's great. It is Real. good. It's but brilliant. Brilliant! <laughs> I was trying to make it come out of your nose. I know, I but, know. It didn't um, work, almost. Damn it. Um, and then, fuck, the other Christopher. Christopher uh, Lloyd in Star Trek Three. Seriously, Christopher Lloyd in Star Trek Three. It's He's great. Okay. Well, we're going to have to d- agree to disagree on this because... But sometimes Star Trek... I mean, hello, the villain in Star Trek Four is a giant tin can... With a little light coming out of it. Right. I mean, <laughs> what can you say about but it? But see, okay, here's my thing. When I meant that they're a little generic, I don't mean that the performances weren't good or the characters weren't good. Yeah. I mean that when you ask somebody, say you ask just sort of an average person, not somebody who doesn't know anything about Star Trek. I'm not saying somebody who's like, whatever. Yeah. When you ask somebody sort of in the middle. Uh-huh. You didn't know somewhat about Star Trek, not so much maybe, whatever. You ask them, okay, who are the big Star Trek villains? Uh-huh. They're gonna go, um, the Khan. Khan, that's it. Maybe that's the only well-known villain, right? Except for maybe Q in the Next Generation. It, yeah, okay, I can see that. Well, maybe even the Borg. Yeah, yeah. But but at any rate, what I was gonna say is that I think it's hard to say that because Khan is usually considered one of like t- the top ten villains in movie history. True. Um, but he's, he's also the only remarkable one. Yeah. I mean, there are some great villains, but they're all just, you know, another Klingon. That's what I mean. That's, that was my point. And I'm not saying that they're bad characters or they're bad uh, performances. I'm saying that they're another Klingon or, Yeah, I I get that. I get that. I don't know. At the same time, I guess you could say that about Star Wars too, because people are like, okay, who's this villain in Star Wars? Well, it's Darth Vader. Okay, who's the next villain in Star Wars? The next one down the line. Well, ooh, uh, Count Dooku, or, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, 
Darth Maul. Darth Maul. Um, but what I was going to say is, is partly being a Star Trek fan and having watched the, a couple of the series, especially recently, the producers really got on to these time kicks. Like, Voyager had it, like, everywhere. Like, you know, if <laughs> because they were alone and they couldn't, like, repair the ship and shit, so every other week they'd, like, blow up the ship and then somehow they'd go back in time and fix it. Right. So in this one, by the time I get to this movie and they've got the back in time thing, I'm like, fucking A, Star Trek. Find a new device. Yeah. Well, see, I haven't seen any of those. So yeah. I, that to me was the only one that I could remember was Star Trek Four. Yeah. I mean, obviously, that, that was actually. <laughs> Double the, dumbass on you. <laughs> too much LDS. <laughs> <laughs> I like Italian. And so do you. Yes. No. It's the thing. Yeah. Uh, but the Star Trek Four, which was the highest grossing of the movies, if yes, I'm not mistaken, besides the new one, and because it's the most accessible, it's a it's a comedy. It's, it's a basically a comedy. Movie. It's yeah. like a science fiction comedy. Uh-huh. Um, and then, but and then there's something like Star Trek Five, which was so inaccessible oh. because it was well because it's such a joke. I mean that that movie it's the it's the one directed by Shatner. Well, yeah. And it is like a Shatner love fest. Everybody in that movie but him is a complete moron. You have the engineer who gets lost in his own ship. Uhura is nothing but a sex pot. Um, the navigator, Sulu, gets lost. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's everybody's a joke except for Shatner. Right. Well, and the thing... I and think... it's a search for God. Yeah, I know. And Which was, was stretching Star Trek a bit. Yeah, that's a little bit beyond <laughs> where Star Trek is going to go. <laughs> but, you know, I, again, I didn't have as much of a problem with the time travel stuff because of the fact that maybe I hadn't seen as much of it. When I said before that I, the experience I had with Star Trek with the series was a lot in The Next Generation, they did yeah. that once, I think, well, they, I think they did it a couple times, and then the finale re- revolves around uh, Picard going back and forth from like three or four time periods. Right, but the big one that I remember was that they they somehow the crew the the Enterprise traveled back in time, and they saw the Enterprise before them, which was sort of the lost Enterprise. Yeah, they, they yeah, got blown well, up uh-huh. the, in a battle That's or something. My favorite episode of the Next Generation. Well, okay, there you go. Then. By far. But anyway, well, so we got to wrap it up. Okay, fine, We're fine. in an hour 22. <laughs> I, I have pity on our audience for having to listen to us for this long. Um, <laughs> okay. So to restate our trivia question, it was, in what great uh, comedy television show uh, can you find the line, there were a lot of great Canadian actors in Millennium. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and, and send, if you can, t- and, and and send your responses to can you FBI at gmail.com. And just in case the reason that we're not getting any responses to this is C A N Y O U F B I at gmail.com. And no, we are not affiliated in any way with the government agency. Exactly. That people are like <laughs> saying, what, these guys want me to send responses to the FBI? What the oh, fuck? Oh, God. They're, it's going to be like Eagle Eye. All this terrorist shit's going <laughs> to show up in my apartment. <laughs> okay, so I guess that's it for now. Um, until next <laughs> week, Phil, take us out, man. Can you fucking believe it? <laughs> <laughs>